0: on this week in our uh, series, This Way of Life. Uh, first two weeks, we have spent kind of looking at what does it mean to welcome people into this way of life, into faith. In week one, we spent a bunch of time on uh, intentional invitation. What does it look like to invite someone into this body, into this stream of grace that, that we know? And last week, we sort of pivoted into discipleship. as Jesus in Matthew 28 basically said, um, invite people and train them into this way of life. And so in week one, we said, how do you invite them? And week two, we said, no, it's important to train them. And so what we're going to do for the next three weeks is then kind of take these three aspects of a well-rounded Christian life uh, relationally and kind of unpack each one of them. Because each of us has a responsibility uh, to be a learner, to be a disciple, to be a leader, to disciple others, and then to be a friend, to walk alongside of folks on the journey. And those seem like really easy, straightforward things, and yet if you did a, a, a diagnostic of our lives, most of us don't have all three of those areas really solidly covered. Some of us are great leaders, but don't follow anybody. Some of us are great followers, but don't lead anybody. A lot of us are great friends, but uh, the other half of the room goes, yeah, I don't know if I have really people that I walk with. And so what we're going to do is, is kind of unpack each of those from a biblical perspective and see what does it look like to be those things. Uh, What does it look like to uh, the cards that have been on your seats for a couple weeks? They're on every third seat. So if you've missed a couple weeks, you can pick one of those up, take a peek at it. And there's three blanks on one side with little people uh, icons. And that's who are you praying for? Who are you uh, hoping that God would let you impact for Christ? Whether that's like absolute sharing your faith and inviting them into faith, or if that's just loving them and displaying grace along the path so that you can plant a seed that god might use later what does that look like so those are those three people And then the flip side has three uh, different sets of arrows the up arrow says who are you following Who, who are you looking up to who's your mentor who's your coach who's your who's your leader the side to side arrow is who are you partnering with who are you doing this journey shoulder to shoulder with and then the the bottom one is is who are you then pouring into who is your life then intended for that god might use you to lead another so we're kind of looking at those, and so that's what I said in the next three weeks. We'll take a look at each one of those arrows. And so we're going to do that uh, today in looking at what does it mean to be a learner, the cost of following Jesus, uh, the posture of someone who's going to be a learner, and then really how, how to do it, how to find a leader, and how to follow. And so we're going to do that by starting in uh, John chapter 1. We'll have it up on the screen here for you. John 1, says, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him for that day. It was about the 10th hour, verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You should be called Cephas, which meant Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, Follow me multiple times in that passage we see these words follow me and so what we're talking about today is our ability to be disciples of christ to be learners disciple is this word with a lost meaning if if rabbi is the teacher disciple is the student and so we often just look at it as student to be a disciple is to be a student and yet the way we view students in in our kind of westernized culture is is not the same as a rabbi would have viewed a disciple a student does what he has to do to get the grade right Yet there's something, there's something deeper than that that's happening with disciple. It's something greater than that. It's, it's not somebody who does something for uh, the means to an end. It's someone who soaks in something so deeply. We talked about that soak language. Like a sponge, a, the, the disciple is the sponge of the rabbi. They just soak up that life so as to take it and pour it out into another. The, the word disciple has the same Root is the word we have for discipline, which gives us a better sense of what we're aiming for There's an element of devotion and diligence in this I would argue that To be a disciple is to subjugate our present desire For the sake of a future higher or more noble goal To be a disciple is to really subjugate your own personal desire to take on uh, Some other future goal related to the one teaching you A christian disciple is one who says all other pursuits are secondary and to know and serve Jesus is primary. To become a Christian disciple is to subjugate your own desires and take on those of Christ. So when Jesus calls and says, follow me, what's interesting is they knew who he was as you look at this passage. We often have this picture in our mind that Jesus just kind of like floated through uh, the land and kind of magically said, follow me, and people went, oh yeah, okay, I'm in. He had a reputation. It had preceded him. They already knew who he was. They went ahead of him and went, look, we found the Messiah. We know. We've been listening. We've been following him. He's the one. And so when Jesus says, follow me, that's why they drop their nets. That's why they go. That's why they follow. They've heard. He's out there leading already. They said, he's the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God. And they believed. And then he says, come follow me. It's interesting to me because it illustrates the difference between belief and following. There's actually a difference between belief and following. So, so we believe, we can believe in aerodynamics, right? There's a difference between believing in aerodynamics and flight and then actually following it. So you can believe that the 485 ton 747 is going to effortlessly lift off the runway and glide at 30,000 feet across the ocean. You can believe that. Following requires you get on the plane and actually have some faith that it's going to happen. And over and over, you see people who, who would believe in Jesus, and you go, well, do this, and then follow, and they'd, they'd walk away. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. There, there's this difference. Believing in Jesus is different than following. One precedes the other, but there is some sort of thing that's this faith aspect that has to be acted. Luke 9, uh, 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds like someone who believes. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But, but that one said, Lord, Lord, sounds like belief. Let me go first and bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is laying out the cost of following him over and over. To all who come, he gives them the cost. He's saying, look, it's not easy. He tells the first one, look, you sure you want to follow me? Like, this is not the path to to wealth and fame here. I'm homeless. Which must give the man pause. The second two, he he offers cultural rebuttals. They both have these cultural duties they need to attend to. One needs to go and perform the, the funeral rites as a son. The other needs to go and make proper arrangement with his family before he follows Jesus. And Jesus says, all this cultural stuff you're doing, it's finished. I am here to institute a counterculture. And so leave them to do their work. This is a whole new thing we're building together. To follow Jesus is to uh, profoundly reorient your entire world with Christ as first and center. I would say it this way. There's no such thing as a supplemental savior. There's no such thing as a supplemental savior. We so often create Jesus in the the form of like a vitamin you can take to be slightly healthier. If I just have a little Jesus every day, I can be slightly healthier. Cholesterol is lower and my energy is better. I just, this Jesus thing is good. Jesus doesn't offer himself as, as a supplement to your life. Jesus offers himself as a transplant, if we're talking that way. It's not a vitamin it's a heart transplant. It's a whole new you with a whole new center a whole new engine a whole new purpose Jesus was not a good teacher or moral compass If that is your view you're off. He's not a good teacher or a moral compass He was not a great man a great teacher. None of those things Plenty of people have written it Jesus was a liar a lunatic or the son of god There are no other options Here's a person who's claiming to be God incarnate, the son of God with flesh on. Telling people to follow him into his eternal kingdom. This is not an option that he's just a good teacher. This is either someone who's severely unhinged, who's lying to people for some agenda, or who is actually the son of God. And there aren't other lanes we can drive down to to kind of waffle in between, well, i like vitamin jesus so i just want to call him a good teacher and i like these things he said but that stuff's hard so i'm just going to pull the good teaching He kept saying if you look back you're not fit for this and the reason that that those of us in this room when we would say we follow christ it's because he's authenticated because he proved himself not liar he proved himself not lunatic there were hundreds of witnesses to a a resurrection A resurrection of the dead and an ascension into heaven. There were hundreds of eyewitnesses, which is the same thing today as getting it on video and watching. Oh, and those hundreds of eyewitnesses, none of them recanted what was written. None of them rebutted what was written. As it was written in the first century, this is eyewitness testimony. And that's why you see all these names all through the New Testament. It's because all of these people are being listed as like witnesses to give testimony. And when those people would have heard that their name was associated to this thing, The only thing they have the option to do is either say that's what I saw or no it never happened And we have zero writings from the day that said it didn't happen And so it's a matter of faith, but it's also a matter of fact That christ was risen from the dead that christ ascended into heaven And so we can reject all of the other avenues and reject this idea that he was just a good teacher And i'm going to follow some of his principles There's no room for a nice guy who did some cool stuff Jesus asks people to follow him, not like him. In a Facebook world, this is important. I clicked it. Doesn't that count for something? Are you someone who has hung around Jesus, liked Jesus, even believed Jesus, but never responded to the call to follow Jesus? Is there a a gap between I think I believe that and I'm following that? Is there a gap between I believe the plane can fly and I'm actually going to sit and buckle myself in the seat? The reality is it gets harder every day because we live in this personality-driven world. And for all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, our favorite personality is me. In the 50s, the most popular magazine on the newsstand, Life Magazine. Who remembers Life Magazine? Uh, you've all added yourselves. Okay. And then Time Magazine, and then they merged, and there was time and life. But Time Magazine was another thing. Life, time, these big overarching concepts. You see a picture of them now, and there's the world event, or there's a family doing something on the cover, and it's, it's this nostalgic, oh, life. Do You know what, uh, as we move into this more personality-driven world, you know what the most popular magazine at the newsstand was in 2000? People, which had a sort of a celebrity bent to it, didn't it? Who wore it best? Do you know what it is now? It's called us. Us Weekly. Life, people. Us. Is what we're interested in. It's all shifting. When the internet was first out there, what people did was they went and consumed stuff out there. Now what we consume is ourselves. Preen my page and preen my image and make sure people know and put this out and attract as much following and likes and and we are our own favorite personality, which makes it really hard to give that up to follow someone else. The world is shifting. To follow Jesus is to reorient your world. So the question would be: what is the center of your universe? Is it self? Is it career? Is it family? Is it security? Too many of us see Jesus as a thing that serves what is central in our lives, which is us. And if we are central, then we are our own gods. So this is the cost of following. To be a learner, to be a follower, to be a disciple, we have choices to make. We rely on recommendations in, in our culture. Recommendations are everything. We know this pretty acutely. We've, we've relied on recommendations for everything in, in 17 months, 16 months living here. Well, where should we buy a house? Where do, you have, where do you find good Mexican food? Well, what do you do? Where, where should our kids take dance? What, what, I don't know. And we just ask, and we just have to rely on everyone else's recommendations. And the thing that becomes really apparent is to follow someone's recommendation means you forfeit the right to take any other option. So if I go to dinner at restaurant A, then I've forfeited the right to go to restaurant B for dinner that night. It's just not an option anymore. I, I did this, not that. To take a vacation here means I can't go there. To live in a house in this neighborhood means I can't live in a house in that neighborhood. To follow Jesus is to forfeit the right to hold other options as ultimate. To follow Jesus is to forfeit the right to all the other things you can follow. Money, religion, pleasure, whatever. All the other gods that we hold are no longer options. They can't rule us anymore if we're truly following Christ. They're still part of the ecosystem. They're still part of this universe swirling around us. So it's not like you follow Jesus and now money is no longer important. Well, if you want to eat, there, there's going to be a thing happening where you're going to need to earn something and barter or whatever you want to do. But that's still going to matter. But it just can't be ultimate anymore. And then as we follow Jesus, we're called to make disciples. And to be disciples. And evidence abounds that part of that learning happens from other people. The first disciples followed Jesus. Paul followed a famous rabbi, Gamaliel. Timothy followed Paul. On and on it goes. As Christians, we inherit a legacy of learners. We inherit a legacy of followers, of disciples who followed other disciples. And if I'm my own God, I'll never make space to grow as a disciple of Christ by following anyone else. And so first, we talk about a learner's posture. What is a learner's posture? If we're, go, how, do, how do I become a learner? How do I become a, a disciple, a follower? Where, where do I get that? To follow requires humility. Humility requires the death of pride. Submitting to someone as a learner is a transfer of power. Think about it this way. Before cell phones, you want to do that hand thing again where everybody who's of a certain age, goes, I remember that time. Before there were cell phones. When someone said, hey, just follow me to this place. Like there there was no way to like punch the numbers into your, the address into your phone and just let it tell you where to go. If you'd never been somewhere and you were following someone else, A, you had to hope they wouldn't lose you along the way and run a yellow light and then you're stuck and you have no idea. But when they said, hey, follow me there, you literally had to do that. You had to literally kind of like give up all power in the situation and say i'm completely resting on your ability not to lose me and to lead me to the right place it's a deep trust because every turn was a blind turn think about it you would had to drop your agenda and you had to actually pay attention to everything someone else did this is true in christian life as well to be a learner is to follow someone to drop your agenda and to pay deep attention to what they're doing And pride wants to say, hey, you probably know the way anyway. You could probably figure this out. You're smart. can't be that hard. Where the disciple says, every turn is a blind turn. This is the posture of humility. The posture of humility admits need. Which flies in the face of self and self-sufficiency of the, the cult of me. Humility says, I have a need and I can't fill it by myself. And this is a big, huge step. Because when we even admit that, it attacks the most fragile God we have, which is the God of self. The second I say I am not sufficient in and of myself, that whole thing crumbles. Some of us know backseat drivers. Some of us are sitting next to backseat drivers. Some of us are resisting the urge to elbow backseat drivers. Backseat drivers drive everyone insane. Because what you want to say, right, honey? What you want to say to me is, hey, I have the wheel, bud. I got a gas pedal. You have a gas pedal over there? No? Let me use mine, okay? I know where the turn is. I've been here before. Just relax. And those of us that are a little on the control side, find ourselves gripping the hand rest so hard that our knuckles are white, and we're we're like going to the grocery store, and she's going to find it. And yet, what is that in us that is so rent on control? We can't handle the transfer of power to someone else. And yet the reality is, every turn to somewhere you've never been is a blind Every turn to somewhere you've never been is a blind turn. And until we recognize that, until we rest in that, we'll never be able to get to the place where we admit the need that we we need to follow someone. I've never been there. If I want to be a great dad, not of an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, I want to be a great dad of a 28-year-old and a 25-year-old, of a 48-year-old and a 45-year-old. I don't have those directions in me i have to follow somebody i have to be willing to admit my need that i I don't know the way and any of you who watch me who say he refuses to take advice on how to parent an eight-year-old and a five-year-old would say well that's arrogance he's never been there and then what you would say those of you who've done it would go just wait till they're 18 and 15 see how he feels then And that's the way that goes. But we have to be in a position and a posture where we can admit that we have need. That's what humility is. Saying that we don't know what's around the bend. Pride says, I've got this. Humility says, show me the way. This is life. There is always someone further down the path. The question is whether we're willing to listen. Are we willing to take directions? In the days before the cell phone, how many husbands in this room refuse to pull over and stop and ask? I remember, I, I'm first. I would, we'll find it. I'll get there. What is it in me that refuses to pull over to the convenience store and admit to whoever the person is making at the time, you know, like $4 an hour behind the counter and to walk up and say, I'm kind of an idiot. I don't know where I am everything in me wars against that because everything in me wants to be able to say that I've got this. And nothing in me naturally wants to admit a need and yet that's the posture I have to have if I'm going to be a learner, a follower of Christ that's truly going to be fully formed. Then you have to go, well, who's the leader then? Who's the learner's leader? Who is it and how do I get them? In Jesus's day, students applied to a rabbi like you would apply to a university. Jesus kind of flipped the script and he called people to himself, which is like if Harvard called you, which would be pretty exciting. Today, um, you apply and hope to get accepted, but both are are possible. Both are intentional. Whether you are applying or someone's applying to you, both, both are intentional, and that's kind of the key. Because there's no such thing as an accidental or an incidental disciple. No one accidentally follows someone else. And this is our age of of tons of information. There's so much out there. Everybody has a thousand pathways to learn. You can learn a lot just breezing through life these days. You can learn a lot by filling your head with books and podcasts. You can learn a lot by um, browsing the internet. You can learn everything there is. The entire knowledge of the history of the world is available a click away. And so in 2017, follow me has a different meaning. Follow me is a life-on-life invitation, which means a a leader will have to have access. And so if we're going to be a learner, we have to be willing to give somebody access to our lives in a leadership capacity. Because I've never had a podcast challenge me on the way I treat my wife. They don't talk back. Never had a tweet hold me accountable to spending time in God's presence. It doesn't happen. And I can go all the learning channels I can find, all the avenues to grab more knowledge and more expertise, and not a single one of them will hold me accountable. The reality is nobody likes accountability. Accountability. Nobody likes receiving any feedback because we're all afraid it's going to be negative feedback. And so when it's positive, it's not even like elation. It's just relief. And even though no one likes receiving negative feedback, no one gets better without it. Researchers have actually shown that uh, in receiving feedback, like before you go in for an annual review as an employee, that actually sends our brains into a fight or flight mentality. The amygdala lights up and people go into fight or flight as they walk into the room to get their review. Am I going to fight or am I going to run? We are like hardwired averse to feedback, which is to say we're hardwired averse to accountability. We get defensive or we run, to which you might say, so you're telling me I need to volunteer for that? Yes. Everyone needs a coach to help us be our best self. Everyone needs someone to point out where something's not quite right. No one gets better without that feedback. When I was 15, 16, my dad sent me to Nashville. He put me on a plane. I'd never been on a plane by myself. And he puts me on a plane from San Antonio to Nashville to go to a a basketball camp. And there's this kind of like nationally known shooting camp. And he knew. He didn't say as much, but he knew that I was a pretty good basketball player except about half the time i was a terrible shooter and that's not the best mix and so he he figures it out finds a you know a camp that's just right for me pretty intense it's a week and all they did is deconstruct everything i did that's wrong and it was not like huge things right hey your elbow is like an eighth of an inch too far out and you need to bring it in because it's throwing off your alignment oh and and you're shooting the ball from here and you need to shoot it from oh and everything, they installed new habits. They tweaked little bits and pieces. Every little thing was, was messed with. And I came back from there different. I came back from there wildly more effective. I came back from there wildly more confident. And nothing was fun about having somebody say, hey, you're not very good, actually. You thought you were good. You're terrible. And you go, oh, well, thanks for nothing. Um, thought I was good. And yet, the way you feel after someone actually coaches you into good—there's something about that. Because resistance grows resilience. We only become resilient when we encounter resistance. Resistance creates resilience. Ever heard of resistance training? That's what that is. It's people with those bungee cords, and you're pulling that thing. It's resistance. You ever wonder why it's hard to pick up a really heavy weight that's on the ground and lift it in a certain way? Because the weight is resisting being picked up by my scrawny arms. It's just what it does. It's resistance. And every bit of resistance builds resilience. It does it physically, but it does it spiritually. Think about it this way. Tell me the muscles you grow floating down a river in a tube versus the muscles that you grow paddling upstream in a kayak. Too many of us are content to float down the river of life in a tube hoping no one notices or criticizes. And what Christ has called us to is to be in relationships, paddling upstream in a kayak that not by ourselves, but with someone else who's done it before, says, let me show you the way. And as we go with them, as we paddle behind them, as we learn from them, we grow stronger, we grow better, and we're more effective in the kingdom. A true leader helps us find the necessary and navigable places to grow and to stretch. They keep us uncomfortable because they know it's the path to growth. They provide resistance, knowing it's our always building up our resilience. Jesus was always challenging and coaching the disciples. How often are you reading the New Testament and Jesus is sitting and telling somebody, stop doing that. Why are you thinking? Don't do this. No, you're wrong. He's correcting them all the time. He's chiseling away. He's growing them, stretching them. He's making them the men they're supposed to be. Who hires a trainer that can't stretch them or challenge them, that actually doesn't want to make them better? You know who does that? Someone who wants to say they have a trainer but really wants to keep living the same life. Who, who picks someone to lead them who they know won't challenge them? A control freak who can't imagine that someone else possibly knows the way. It's the religious thing in us. It's the religious person in us that wants to check a box, but not actually look more like Jesus. Religious person in us is always finding a way out of being a true disciple by fake following somebody or, or promising I'll, I'll follow soon. Jesus, I'll become your disciple, but first let me raise these kids. I got a lot going on. Jesus, I'll become a disciple, but this is my busy season at work, so I'll, I'll make time for that, you know, when, when it allows when what we're really saying is Jesus I'll give you my life but let me have a little bit more time with it first. I'm not quite done with it. Jesus says you have to lay it down. You have to lay your life down if you want to take my life. And we're so unwilling to let go of the steering wheel of our own lives. God, I'll let you drive. Just let me get around the next bend. Let me get into the next state. like if you give someone a gift at christmas and they open it and they love it wow this is amazing i can't believe you thought of me and you just pulled it back and you went yep i'm gonna use it just for a few months i'm just gonna try it out it's good make sure it's okay I'll, maybe april may i'll give it to you maybe that's not a gift that's insulting here open this it's yours after i use it for a while It's not something you've given away. And so for all of us, the kind of heavy challenge is, is that what we've done with our lives in Christ? It's gone, yep, it's yours. After I use it a little bit longer. You, you can have it. I just want to work on this other stuff that's kind of a priority first. If you do not have someone that is leading you, that is chiseling and challenging and stretching you, would you be willing to find them and ask them if they would do that for you? Which in and of itself will be humbling. Would you be willing to walk up to somebody, preferably somebody you've met before, and ask them, if I open my life to you, will you challenge me to be better, to be more like Jesus? And then figure out what that looks like. And so if you're a young mom, you'd go to someone who's done this before, and you'd go, hey, if I open my life to you, would you... I know know it's a lot to ask. Would you you challenge me? Would you stretch me? Would you, if I'm honest with you, would you be honest with me? Can can you teach me how to do this? Because what you're doing is you're inviting someone to train you in this way of life. And that's not a, you've done this piece of life or you've done that piece of life. That's you've been living in this life, this Christ life. And I want to know how to do the Christ life when I have kids. And I want to know how to do the Christ life when they're grown. And I want to know how to do the Christ life on vacation. And I want to do it at work. And I want to do the Christ life in every aspect of my being. Because we're all about authenticity these days. Authenticity is the thing. People, people come to this church and they go, oh, you know, I just love that it's authentic. And you go, that's cool. And yet authenticity is just as easily faked as anything else. You put on the right shirt and the right fake smile and the right handshake and the right worn wood floors and it that's authentic what we're yearning for is integrity we don't want authenticity we want integrity we want to be who we are on the inside on the outside we want to meet other people who are not afraid to be who they are on the inside as well as on the outside and we call it authenticity but that can be faked that's called instagram instagram you set it just right, you get the lighting just perfect, and you put a filter on it, and you go, wow, that looks so authentic. Wow. And what we're aiming for, what we yearn for, what we are created for is integrity. We want to follow people with integrity. We want to live lives of integrity because integrity is the, like, the most beautiful reflection of the creator because God, in word and in deed, is one. When God speaks, it happens. When God thinks, it happens. When God says, it happens. God has this beautifully integrated whole. Speaks creation into being. Speaks our lives into being. Speaks our salvation into being. God is this integrated, perfect, what he says is true, and it's true what he says. And we go, I want that. We yearn to be people of integrity, but it doesn't get there on its own. We have to open ourselves up to others so they can show us our blind spots. Because they wouldn't be blind spots if we could see them. They have to go, hey, I don't know if you know this, but. And it stinks to hear that. But you can't correct it unless you can see it. We need people who will challenge us to new heights, who will stretch us into new places. And the best part about this is, is the best trainers don't just train you for you. The best trainers will show you that you have the ability to train others. That in your integrity, in your following of Christ, in your being a disciple, you actually have the ability to turn around and make disciples. Next week, we'll talk about that. What does it mean to be a leader, to be a disciple maker? Even those of us who would go, I don't know if I'm ready for that. What does it mean? Because we're all ready for that. For this week, the question remains, are you ready to be a disciple? A learner? Which asks the question, who can teach you? Who can show you? Who can train you? Who are you willing to ride with? Who are you willing to give power in your life? Who will lead you? So your challenge this week is to find them and intentionally ask them. And you don't have to know what that means or what it looks like. You can figure that out as you go. But hey, would you be willing? And be prepared to hear no because great leaders have great boundaries and they may already be doing that for 10 people. And they may go, you know, but I know this guy, and if you would trust your life to him, I know this gal. If you trust your life with her, if you'd be honest, they're good. Are we willing to hire trainers in a spiritual sense in the same way that we would for any other area of our life? What we're going to do as we continue is move on to communion. We're going to uh, take a step back from challenge and lean in to what's already been done that Christ came and gave his life for us, that, that God sent his only son to give his life on a cross as a payment for our sins. And that in doing so, in dying, he destroyed our death. And then in rising, he restores our life. And so when we take communion, we get to rest in that moment. That no matter where we are on the spectrum of um, great disciple, great learner, great follower, doing it all right, or Man, I didn't realize how much I'd messed this up. We all rest in the same place, which is in the shadow of the cross, which says, if you believe, you are set free. And so as we have this moment as a family every week, it's our chance to take the bread and remember that he gave his body and dip it in the cup and remember that he shed his blood, that we might be set free. And that in his resurrection, we have life. And there is beauty, and there is hope, and there is joy. And so I would invite you, if you would, to stand with me. And the team will come up and uh, lead us in worship. Let's pray. Father, your word is uh, a challenge. God, when we are honest and we read your word honestly and we apply it to our lives honestly, it so often uh, it cuts. It reminds us that uh, we are in formation and that there is work to do. It reminds us that you have saved us, but saved us for a purpose. God, our desire as a community is not to rest simply in the beauty of your salvation. Though we remember it, though we savor it, though we're nothing without it. But Father, I pray that we as a community would be catalyzed to take that which you've given us and become multipliers of it, to become uh, givers of it, to take the grace you've poured into us to grow in that so that we might pour it out upon others. Father, our first step is to follow diligently, to take the faith you've given and to grow in it, to stretch in it, to become resilient against all that the world will throw at us. So I pray as we remember you at the table, as we remember what you've done for us, you would spur that in us that, God, we might do that for others as well. We might lead people, love people, serve people as the display of you. God thank you for this place this community the incredible richness of our lives here thank you for there being so many to look to so many to follow so many to ask and rest on so much wisdom in this room Father you've been gracious to us thank you for your son we pray in his name